healing emotional trauma from shadow and love? What? Welcome to the Joyous Expansion Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Dupree, scouring the globe to bring you stories of courage, passion, and resilience. If I could sum up this podcast into one word, I would use empathy. Now let's get inspired. Welcome to the Joyous Expansion Podcast. I am your host, Brett Dupree, your Joyous Expansion Life Coach, here today to pump you up with inspiration, motivation, and a little bit of love. Today, I am talking to Alicia Sunflower, a wonderful person that I met a few months ago, I believe, maybe less than a year, maybe more than a year. Time is relative, and sometimes when you're up to the age of 40, it's hard to remember how long time lasts sometimes did that happen a year ago that happened five years ago i don't know not always not always so what has been happening in my life since last week well this is the third podcast in a row so yay me celebrating getting back on track feeling good feeling fine therapy is interesting so far my therapist does a lot more talking than i do so there's that but giving me things to try, nothing I haven't tried before. However, I'm hoping to be paying an individual and talking to a professional will help me keep on track with these little things. She suggested make a calendar of 30 days and putting five things of self-love and checking it off and using that as a way to help keep me on track, which I think is a good idea if I continue to do it. I love starting things. That's one of my favorite things in the world but continuing things especially when i'm not doing good such as my budget honestly i haven't budgeted in a month and a half i set my budget up for february and didn't even look at it through all of february which is not good because i went way over my goal this year of not utilizing i'm have capital one the ultimate online where you just get a thousand dollars of credit so when you go over there's no over fees you just pay credit charges so that might be two to at most two maybe three dollars a month for going over instead of back in the old days when you went when i went over once and then accidentally bought something that was 64 cents and because i went under and then bought something that was 64 cents that cost me 70 dollars i didn't have which is the most fun that's the one thing i learned about being broke is that it is heck of expensive everything just costs more but at the same time not following the budget that does not bring me joy but when i get behind the part of me just doesn't want to look at it doesn't want to deal with it it's all about making excuses it's why i want to go to this therapist so i stop making excuses so i stop the cycles that i go through looking at myself and being honest having like last week a therapy of my troubles but not only that to really look at my shadows and push forward for instance, last week I ate like a madman. Ooh, so many cookies because I do love the cookies. But at the same time, I am pushing above 400 pounds, which is, in my humble opinion, too much. My ankles don't feel that great. My feet hurt sometimes. My back aches if I walk too long. What, what fun is that? But at the same time, it's hard to get restarted. And that's what I'm in that process of doing. You know, so far this week I have been okay. Today I did eat a little bit too much cheese and hot wings but that is within my lower carb diet that i'm on well lifestyle i should say because that's just the way that eats that feels healthiest to me i mean when i give up carbs i'm not giving up broccoli and fruit and 
lettuce or spinach. I'm giving up pasta, rice, cookies, ice cream, and re- random sugary things. So <laughs> when I think of a low-carb diet, it's pretty much my same diet just without junk food. Because I love the meat. One thing I've been thinking of lately is excuses. What is keeping me from going for it? I've had this idea for years to put on a monthly, hopefully turn bi-weekly, hopefully would turn weekly workshop type thing where I would gather people around on Wednesday, call it help people get over the hump by imagining living their dreams and spending one week of a hot beef injection. That is a Simpsons reference that popped in my head, but basically an injection of joy into their dreams because when you focus on your dreams and your emotions are aligned, you can move mountains because yes, when you think of what you want to do and you feel good, you're more likely to do it. It's procrastination. And the procrastination happens because you feel pain. When you think about it, you feel pain. And you don't want to do things that make you feel pain. But however, as I learned in the workshop that Andy Dooley, one of my buddies, put on on Saturday that I was a volunteer of, it is actually the thought of procrastination is much worse than actual procrastination. When you are doing the action you're procrastinating in, you do not feel the pain that you have when you think of it. One thing I want to focus on is that pain. Mostly how that pain is an illusion. It's a thought in my mind and it's not real. If I just did it, the pain of doing it is less than the pain of thinking about doing it. So just do it. Just do it. Yeah, the workshop was also gave it gave me two main points that I've been thinking of. One is the procrastination and thinking of pain. And that felt very accurate. There's not one time in my life where I can really think of where I didn't think, where I didn't where I kept on putting things off and then when I actually did it, it didn't hurt. For instance, if you've been following my podcast, my taxes, I couldn't afford my taxes a few months ago, but I just didn't want to deal with it. But it just felt painful and painful and painful. And I lived with that pain for like five months when I really only need to live with it for three. I could have afforded it in three if I just paid it and just figured it out. Or I could have done my taxes, see how much they were, and then worried about it and saved money and paid it instead of putting it off in my mind because I didn't want to deal with that pain. It's the same thing with my finances. When I notice I am spending too much money, I don't want to look at my bank account because I feel pain. But when I looked at it today and I saw the negative, I'm like, oh man, that sucks. But at the same time, it's nice to know. Knowledge is less pain. Awareness is less pain. Awareness decreases pain. I mean, it's... It's like when you think your person that you're dating is going to break up with you and you have that conversation. It hurts when that happens, but the thought of it happening hurts more. Maybe that's not the best analogy. Yeah, that wasn't the best analogy and not has anything to do with my current girlfriend. We're still in love and everything's awesome. I was just thinking of the past where you feel like you see it coming or you're worried about it and... Then when it happens, it hurts, but then you can get over it. It's the thoughts in our minds that cause pain, that cause misery. So looking at my life, where do I cause myself misery? Where do I cause myself self-harm? And it's always when I don't deal with an issue. I am an avoider. I make excuses. Like when I talk about this workshop, I think of all the reasons I can't do it. The pain. And when I think of, for instance, the Lightworker Toastmasters, I joined a club that Annie Dooley put on 
Manifestation 15 Minutes, I think it was called. Something along those lines. Smart Manifester. And it got me to work on something 15 minutes a day. Through rain or shine, just work on it 15 minutes a day. And that took the pain away just doing it. And that made the Lightworker Toastmasters all the painful things such as finding a venue, such as asking people, such as creating Facebook ads, such as sending messages to anyone I know who could be interested. And the thing is, is the workshop is the same thing. Right now, I am worried that I can't find a space. I don't know where to put it. Right now, I'm worried that I am over 400 pounds. Will people judge me for my weight? Will people not pay attention to me? Will people just... Will things just not work out because of my weight? And will I have the energy that I want to do it? Or what if I do it and nobody shows up? The pain of putting on a presentation and no one shows up. Putting on an event and I am the only person in the room. The pain. Ah, the pain. But thinking about it, what hurts more is the thought If I were to put on an event, spend $50 to $100 for the room for a couple hours, and nobody shows up, that would suck. But the thought of doing, but at least I tried. At least I have an idea of what went wrong. Look at the marketing. At least I moved forward. And it's about pushing forward and being consistent. That is what I'm learning about my life. And that's what I'm learning that is most important. And that is why I am making a commitment once again to be consistent with this podcast. And in three months or six months, I might be off again. That happens. But then to make that commitment, but make it shorter. Don't go three or four months off. Try the best two weeks off. I don't have an interview for next week, mostly because I have a busy weekend. But to think about it, to truly think about it. Make this commitment to myself. Once I get this podcast going, finding the next thing to do to grow myself so that I too can become the person I want to be. It'll be easier also in after June because I'm no longer a district officer. That takes a decent amount of my time. I mean, not a super a lot, but it is time consuming. It will take an afternoon, which I don't have very many anymore now that I give up my Tuesdays and Thursday nights to Toastmasters. Actually, I am considering leaving the Kirkland Eclectics for a while so that I can have only one night a week for Toastmasters. It would make me sad, though. I love that club. Speaking of love, today I had an interview with Alicia Sunflower, a person full of love. I met Alicia at one of her moon groups. I like going to random events. I forgot. I think it is because a friend of a friend. Yeah, one of our mutual friends said they're interested, and so I went. And I felt an instant kinship to her. There's just something about her that meant made me say, yeah, I want to get to know this person. Something about this person is special. So I'm happy to share my interview with Alicia Sunflower. Alicia Sunflower is a licensed mental health counselor, medicine woman, integrative heart healer, singer, poet, host of cultural magic with a k podcast cultural magic podcast magic with a k and founder and facilitator of seattle moon group alicia is passionate about the spiritual cultural revolution that is taking place around the world and being a part of that change her goal is to be her medicine in all that she does and use her skills and talents to help with awakening of consciousness on earth She specializes in healing emotional trauma and integrating mystic earth-based 
spirituality into her professional healing services and art. I am honored to present to you my interview with Alicia Sunflower. Hello, Alicia Sunflower. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me on. I met you at one of your moon groups, I believe. Yes, yes. That was officially the first time I was at a moon group. Those were so cool. I really like your meditations and stuff you put there. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun and a really great growing experience and very fulfilling to have moon group and yeah, to get to practice my ceremony leading skills and meditations and all of that stuff. It's, it's definitely a blessing in my life. Cool beans. Well, it says on your, the thing you sent me, <laughs> bio, that's the word I'm looking for, that you are a licensed mental health counselor, medicine woman, integrative heart healer, singer, and a poet, and you have your own podcast and your moon group. Heck yes, all of that is true. That is so many things. Yeah, you know, I've always been a person who feels called to a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of different passions that I have and a lot of different forms of creativity and service to feel called to. And so I've just come to a point in my life where I'm allowing myself to do it. That is so cool. You say you come to the point in your life where you allowed yourself to go for your dreams. So you're saying there was a time where you were apprehensive to do the things that you're doing now? Definitely. Yeah, I've definitely been on a, a long journey of healing and awakening and of showing up as myself authentically in the world. When I was a child, I went through a lot of abuse and trauma and didn't really understand any of that at the time. What I did understand was I felt really bad and I didn't feel safe in the world and I didn't feel like it was okay to be myself. I also felt pretty weird um, because a lot of the ways that I was thinking about things and feeling about things I didn't see reflected around me. So I kind of just hid in plain sight a lot, tried to be what other people wanted me to be. Through my process of really coming to terms with facing the truth of the abuse and trauma that I experienced, everything shifted in my life. And I suddenly found myself healing from my depression and anxiety in ways that I never had. And also really coming into self-love as I have been learning to love myself and falling in love with myself. I realize I'm great and I really like me and I like the different parts of who I am and that it's okay for me to really be myself out there in the world and allow myself to offer what it is I have and shine in the ways that feel right to me. That is so cool. One thing that I like to talk to about my listeners or my listeners, the people I'm talking to is the idea of empathy, listening to someone's story so they can see themselves within them. So I'm wondering for you, how did your depression and anxiety look like? I think I was definitely one of those people where it maybe wasn't super obvious, you know, like nowadays there's memes going around of like, this is depression too. And kind of this recognition that people will wear masks. And so for around a lot of people, I wore masks and just tried to appear in pleasant and pleasing ways for them. But meanwhile, inside of my head, I was horrible to myself. A lot of self-loathing and self-hatred, which would come out in all kinds of critical and demeaning judgments and just like constant worries about myself. And was I showing up okay for other people? And, you know, was I going to be alone? I've had a big fear of, of abandonment in my life as it's something that I've experienced. Spending a lot of time by myself, just being really sad, kind of falling down in those 
those spirals of thoughts and feeling anxious about being around other people and really just keeping all of this under wraps, not really showing it to very many people at all. The interesting part of that is I resonate a lot with that as I also had those feelings of abandonment. And the way I dealt with it mm -hmm. was actually to shut my emotions down. If I had no emotions, mm -hmm. then I could no longer be hurt. What were some of your defense mechanisms? There's definitely some emotional shutdown. I have a pretty strong intellectual analytical mind. And so at times it's like, well, I will think about the things. I'm not going to feel about the things. And yeah, I would do things to avoid having to face what was happening inside of me, like being really, really busy. That was definitely a great avoidance strategy. Focusing on other people has been a way that I've avoided dealing and confronting with myself. If I can just be giving to other people and making other people happy, then not only am I like possibly not going to get abandoned, but also... I don't have to deal with my own shit. Mm. So you're a people pleaser. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> For sure. I'm people pleaser in recovery, hopefully. I've been working on it. It still shows up sometimes, but yeah, that's an old pattern. So it sounded like you had a lot of anxiety and depression. What was the more a moment that allowed you to start getting out of it? Well, definitely an accumulation of moments, right? Like it's all of these different micro shifts that lead to this macro shift. But I'll let you know about a few of the things that were really key for me to, in the end, make that macro shift, which was part of my journey was going to grad school to study mental health counseling and getting my master's. It was in the context of grad school that I was learning much more deeply about the psyche thusly about myself and my emotions and relationships. In the second year of going into grad school, I was also learning mindfulness and uh, started to practice mindfulness meditation every day and also to learn how to co-lead mindfulness-based cognitive therapy at my internship, which was on the Western Washington University campus working with students. I also learned about a lot more about ethics. And it was actually at that point in my life that I learned for the first time about what consent is and isn't. And having the knowledge of knowing about coercion and then having that resonate, hitting me in the face like a ton of bricks, like wow, that sounds like so much of my life that I've experienced. And then also having a deeper understanding of my own patterns, how to recognize what anxiety was and depression was. And then really key was that mindful piece, learning how to be present in my body, right? Not avoiding it, not running away from it, not drowning it out with busy things or TV or other people, but like actually feeling my body and being present in it. And it was in being present in my body and experiencing my body's truth and how it speaks to me that I was able then to remember through the felt experience of my body, the truth of how I had been resisting the abuse that had been happening to me for a long time and was still happening to me at that point and how that had been that truth for me since I was 14 years old. And at that point, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I could trust myself and that I wasn't crazy. And with that, I really stepped into my power. The person who was abusing me, who had been a long-term family friend, I got that person out of my life. I ended up then going to counseling and having my first counselor a few months later and started talking to people about it and like just everything just kind of waterfall changed after that. Wow, that is powerful. 
What got you into wanting to go to graduate school for mental health? A few different things, I guess. For one, I've always been a person who is very interested in people and how people work and why they do what they do. In uh, my undergraduate program, I studied psychology and sociology. I did a double major in that. Um, I was really fascinated about understanding people from both the micro and the macro perspective and kind of understanding a greater synthesis of what it is to be human. I got onto that track both through this natural curiosity that I had and this kind of just natural ability to read people and understand people. I'm very empathic and intuitive. And so that's always come very naturally to me. But actually, when I started my undergraduate career, I asked degree, I was anticipating going much more into the arts um, and going into interior design. And earlier in life before that, I wanted to be an actress and a singer, you know, kind of as you saw in my bio, feel really called to a lot of different kinds of art. Along the way, I was told not to do that, that it's not a good idea to pursue those things. You need something more practical. So I kind of put my dreams aside about acting and singing and creating. I was like, well, okay, what else can I do? For a while, I thought interior design. And then I decided once I started kind of studying that more out of high school, I'd studied some, but in college, I realized I feel a call to do something much more impactful. I really want to make a difference in people's lives and a difference in the world. So then I decided I'm going to be, I'm going to go be a psychologist. Started studying all of that as well. In the end, it seems it was definitely the thing that I was supposed to do because it's become a really important part of my life in terms of my own healing and indeed how I can show up in the world for other people. I like how it sounded like almost negative thing of somebody telling you not to pursue your dreams and that's rarely fun but it turned out to lead you to a path that allowed you to be able to actually pursue them from a happier yeah <laughs> it is kind of funny how it worked out like that yeah you know because i went to grad school and had this much deeper dive into the psyche and emotions and relationships and into myself and learned all these skills and how to be mindful and had this really significant turn in my wellness and healing journey with myself that I was able to get to the point where I was embracing all of who I am. And so now counseling is a part of my life. I will always be a counselor. It's a, it's a part of my orientation to the world, but so is the artistic parts of me. And I realized I don't have to in the box. I don't have to just be this one thing or show up as the typical mental health counselor. I can do counseling. I can still pursue my art as well. Then as I've continued on this journey, I've discovered all these other parts of me, which I feel called to continue to evolve and develop and share. Can you talk to more about embracing all parts of yourself? Because that sounds very important. Yeah, it, it does sound pretty important, huh? I mean, it's just kind of this big thing and like what does that even really mean to embrace all parts of ourselves in some ways that does mean embracing the part of me that wants to be a singer and more than wants to be a singer feels called to it but it also means embracing my shadows the parts of me that I would rather not 
address at times, you know, like that aspect of the people pleaser or other kinds of patterns that I have that end up being harmful for me, smoking too much weed, escaping reality in different ways, just as much as embracing the parts of me that feel shiny and bright, like my ability to speak and to write and to sing and to create and to lead. We are all so many things, all of us. We are all, in my understanding, reflections of this all that is, this source that is the entirety of creation. We all have that within us. And so embracing all of who we are is... I think a journey that's never done. There's always more to learn about who we are. And it's, can I really approach myself with enough compassion and kindness and understanding and acceptance to allow myself to realize the truth of all of the different parts and shades of who I am. That's not a one and done process. Like I'm saying, that's an unfolding that happens over time. How do you get over the fear of looking at those dark shadows, your people pleaser, your weed smoking Mm -hmm. person who escapes through weed? Mm -hmm. You know, the interesting thing about shadow work and this came to me kind of early on as I didn't know at the time that that's what I was doing, this term that we use called shadow work. But when I was initially beginning to face kind of the true reality of the trauma and abuse and family dynamics that I had grown up in, and doing that shadow work, what I found was more of my own light. And that is the trick with the more we can turn towards those shadows, those parts that don't feel good, or we would rather not look at and see the more of our light we inevitably find. And so at this point, I've learned this lesson enough times to trust that it is in facing my shadows that I will find my next best version of myself. Wow, that sounds amazing. Way to go. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's feel really grateful for myself and for all of the different people and teachers who have been a part of my path who have helped me to, to come to this place. And it's definitely a, a priority for me in my work, whether that be counseling or doing healing or leading in community or in my art to help people to understand that this capacity is within them as well and that we all have this path of alchemy that we can proceed on to become our, our best and brightest selves. That's beautiful. Talk about alchemy and light. It sounds like this is some sort of spiritual aspect to it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That was kind of interestingly for me an unexpected part of my journey. Both my parents are hard scientists. My mom's a biochemist and my dad's a microbiologist. And I ask about the world to them growing up and I get scientific answers. You know, I was five years old. I asked where babies come from. My mom was like, well, you know, man has a penis and semen and a woman has a vagina and eggs. And, you know, I got the very literal explanation. So we didn't have religion or spirituality or faith growing up, but I always had this curiosity about the world and trying to understand, you know, what is all of this? Why is all of this happening? What does any of this mean? What happens when we die? But being in a place of suffering, I didn't really have a lot of hope for something bright within that. But through the path of becoming, more and more I began to open up to spirituality. And it was when I started to face 
the shadows really head on, that spirituality was the thing that held me and pulled me through it. Uh, specifically at that time, Buddhist ways of thinking, Tibetan Buddhism, Buddhist psychology became really fundamental and paramount to me. And since then, it's expanded into all these other things. And the kind of a light that I found, the bright and shiny best version of myself that I found has been through this spiritual lens. The primary way that I view reality now is that everything is spirit like as i was talking about this all that is and so yeah it, it's all of it so this is part of that spiritual cultural revolution that you're so passionate about indeed yeah indeed you know i really notice like so many of us do that there is this awakening happening on earth and what that really means i think in simplistic terms is this realization that life is more than we have been taught it is in Western culture, and, and that people are coming home to their hearts, which is a very profound and important spiritual center within each of us, through which we can know the truth of God, of the universe, of love, of the all it is, of awareness, you know, whatever kind of word, source you might use. And this spiritual cultural revolution, as I see it, is this awakening that's happening on earth. And we are thusly deciding to shift the way that we have all been living together to create a culture that is one based in harmony and love and truth and this kind of truer expression of this all that connects us within its lighter aspect. You seem to do a really good job of surrounding yourself with people like that with your moon group. You know, for a lot of my life, I didn't really feel like anybody else understood me. And so I just wasn't sharing myself. Like I didn't see people reflecting back to me the kinds of thoughts and feelings that I was having inside, wondering about the world and trying to understand it all and make sense of it. And part of my journey was coming to Seattle and finally getting connected to community. And one of the ways that I did that was through starting Moon Group and just felt a very strong call within me to do it, to hold a space for people to come together to share in spiritual vibration. We all have our own perspectives and what that is, but my perspective is that that's a beautiful manifestation of spirit and that it's through the diverse ways that we all see and feel this reality that we can come to the greater truths. It's a newer part of my life, honestly, having so many beautiful people and souls around me who, who get it, <laughs> who I feel like not only can I be myself with them, but they see me and they appreciate me. And that's incredibly meaningful. Yeah, it's very powerful to surround yourself with people who understand you and get you and accept you for who you are. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that my ability to kind of step out into the world and take risks of sharing myself and my different gifts and talents and my ideas is definitely supported by the communities that I have that just makes that whole process much more manageable and doable when you have people around you who are like, yes, I see you. That's great. I agree. Keep going. You know, you don't have to be your only cheerleader when you have community as well. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening, if there are a lot of people who are listening, who also would love to create a moon group or do something mm -hmm. like chasing their dreams. But I'm sure emotional trauma in their past has caused them to not be able to go forward. How would you define emotional trauma and how, what do you do to help others to heal it? 
Mm. Yeah. Emotional trauma is really going back down to this place of feeling unworthy of love based on just who we are. You know, in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and that's what we use in the psychology field to try to categorize and understand what kinds of emotional and mental issues, behavioral issues people are having. They talk about trauma as being this life-threatening experience. Emotional trauma, your physical body may not be being threatened at all, but your emotional self is indeed being threatened that who you are, the exact way that you are, you need to shift and change in order to belong. Something's not okay about you being you. That is kind of the core and essence of of emotional trauma, having some experiences or lessons in which we were taught either explicitly or implicitly that we are not allowed to be who we are and we are not going to be accepted and belong. And so in the end, I kind of don't know who hasn't experienced some amount of emotional trauma in their lives. I haven't met anyone yet who has never had any amount of emotional trauma. That doesn't mean it's all extremely huge and large, and some of us have a lot more and other kinds of trauma on top of it. But, you know, even looking at our society, racism, genocide, institutionalized racism and oppression, these are things that are cultural, emotional traumas that we all share. How do you heal it? I think that one of the most important parts of healing it is feeling it, which I know we don't want to hear. (laughs) I totally understand that because it's hard. It's really hard. But when we allow ourselves to feel our pain, we can actually then release it. When we can feel our pain and at the same time receive compassion and love, then we are having the antidote to that initial trauma that says you're not worthy of love the way that you are. Instead, being in this pain, now feeling this love and compassion, you can know that you are worthy and to start to bring that into your heart, into your being, into your mind, into your life. So healing emotional trauma is really about self-love, honestly. It can, of course, be love and compassion for other people, and that's very important, but we need to love ourselves in the ways that we weren't loved by others when we experienced that emotional trauma. A lot of the work that I do with people is around that through a variety of, of different ways, be that doing processing within counseling, doing different things, heart-centered hypnotherapy or meditation, visualization, breath work, learning all different kinds of ways, movement, art, to be present, to be present and aware in our bodies so that we can feel what is true and at the same time learning to love ourselves through all of that feeling. And that is really where the healing is. I love it. Healing from the heart, starting there, through love. Absolutely. Absolutely. It seems to be the the ticket that I've found so far in my journey. What a powerful journey that you've had so far. You know what? It really has been. (laughs) I just turned 31 this year. I'm really so incredibly grateful for the journey that I've been on. I feel like I've, I've gotten to learn so much through the process of loss and suffering and grief and anxiety and depression. Just as much as I've gotten to learn through this process of awakening and remembering and coming home to myself and to my body and to spirit and falling in love with myself. And here I am, 31, and like, how many more years do I get of this? Like it just keeps getting better as I get older and I'm excited to continue this process forward and see what else this journey has in store for me. Well, I know I am excited for you and we are 
also towards the end of our interview together. And one thing I love mm -hmm. to ask my interviewees is to give a one minute of motivation. This could be a one minute if you had a time machine. You can go back to your eight-year-old self and you only have one minute to distill a message or to distill your message to one minute anyone. I want to invite you to the possibility of living in a world where you can trust yourself where you can feel confident in your ability to have your own back and to love yourself. And I want you to know that this isn't just a dream, that this is your possible, potential, very realistic reality. And that what it takes to get to this point is the realization that everything that you seek, everything that you long for is right inside of your heart. And the key to finding it is through walking through the walls that you have built around your heart, tearing those walls down. And those walls are things like sadness and fear, different judgments that we have um, against ourselves and others and criticisms. When we can face these walls and begin to take them apart, suddenly we find this abundance of light and love, joy and creativity and truth shining from our own hearts. And it is in the place that we know fully the majesty and amazing, amazing creation that is our creator, that is this source of everything, that is you. And I invite you to know in each breath, as you breathe in that air, you are breathing in the universe. And as you breathe out, that universe is breathing in you, that you are always in a sacred dance, a sacred lovemaking with the all that is, that you are the all that is, that you're not separate, you're not apart from it. Even when our minds tell us that we are alone, we are truly not. We are always, in fact, at home. All we need to do is come into the present moment and feel it and be with it, and we can know the truth of divinity within ourselves. Wow, that is powerful. I would like to thank you so much for being on my podcast, listening to your story. I can relate so much as I also had those fun feelings of abandonment as a child as well. But hearing your story and how you were able to go through it and push through it, especially through the shadow, because a lot of times when you listen to personal development people, they rarely talk about going through the shadow to come into the light. So thank you so much for sharing that aspect of yourself, plus that culture revolution, which sounds so juicy. <laughs> for sure, yeah. It's something that's evolving and unfolding in us every day. And uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share with you and your listeners. I hope that it resonates and that people continue with some more light and hope in their heart that they can face those shadows and become their best and brightest self. Awesome. Have a fabulous day. Thank you. You too. And that, my friend, my interview with Alicia Sunflower. You know what's funny? Every time I feel that kinship with somebody, that there's something about this person. I mean, of course they're special because they're lightworkers, people trying to make an amazing difference in their life. But then you notice, or I notice, that we are, there is some shared trauma. It just reminds me of something I learned from Warrior Sage Satya and Raja, who would talk about our kinks base well, it's kind of like you're surrounded by armor or your aura so you have an aura and every time that you have trauma your aura develops a kink like some damage and when you meet someone with similar kinks slash damage in their aura and you meet them there's something about them that you like because they feel like you 
In fact, that's what I truly believe infatuation is. Almost every time I fall in love with someone just instantly, it turns out they are almost damaged in the same way. Even the last crush I had a few years ago, I thought she was different until she wrote a gigantic Facebook post. I was like, wow, I really just follow through the same patterns over and over again. That's why I don't trust that instant love thing, because that's just, at least for me, it's my kinks. My my trauma, noticing someone else's trauma. I love the way Alicia talked about shadow work and embracing all of yourself. That's something that I know I need to work on, especially myself that weighs over 400 pounds. I don't like admitting that. The self that likes to go broke and overcharge my account and run up credit card debt. I don't like talking about that. But just embracing those aspects of myself, loving them, and realizing that there's stuff to work through. And to work through the darkness to get into the light is important. Because anytime you deny a part of yourself, you are shutting yourself off from the growth that would happen when you deal with it. And it's really that simple. You just got to deal with it. Another thing that I love that she talked about was, of course, love. I do truly believe that love is very important for growth and to improve our lives. And when you meet Alicia, if you ever get the honor to do so, you could feel that love, especially when you listen to her music and her poetry. We're Facebook friends, so that's, and on Instagram. You should follow her, look for her. She will post her songs and she has a she has a lovely voice and very enjoyable. Where was I? Yeah, but you could hear and feel that love from her. She has such an amazing heart. And people like that who share their heart with us is special. And when you can work on yourself, when you do work on yourself and let your heart shine, you can touch people and affect their lives. So I suggest you listen to Alicia Sunflower and check her out. Alicia works with clients one-on-one and in groups in Seattle and Vashon, Washington. Check out more about her services at www.aliciagleason.com. That is A-L-I-C-I-A-G-L-E-A-S-O-N.com. You can find her poetry, songs, and writings on her journal there. Or her Instagram at the Alicia Sunflower. And YouTube at Alicia Sunflower. Be sure to check out her podcast, Cultural Magic, as well, for interviews and discussions on spiritual cultural revolution. That's also on SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. I am your host, Brett Dupree, champion of authentic joy, joyous expansion, life coach, catalyst of transformation, and generally nice guy. If you have a question that you'd like to ask me, send me an email at brettdupree at joyousexpansion.com. That's B-R-E-2-T's D-U-P-R-2-E's at joyousexpansion.com. I read every email, and if you have a question, I may even answer it on the podcast. Check me out at joyousexpansion.com. I have a book also called Joyous Expansion, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and even Audible, where you can, if you like my sexy, sexy voice, listen to it on Audible for about six hours when I read my book. You can find more episodes of the Joyous Expansion podcast at pod.joyousexpansion.com as well as wherever 
podcasts are found. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with someone that helps so much. As well as leave a like or a comment or subscribe or whatever that podcast thingamajigger does. This has been a wonderful day. I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, I remind you to be love, to be joy, to be awesome. Now play my jingle. JoyousExpansion.com JoyousExpansion.com Come and say hello to Brett Dupree. He is an inspirational life coach. Good for you and good for me. He turned my life from grey to blue. I'm sure he'll do the same for you. Get in touch and you'll see. Your life will change dramatically. JoyousExpansion.com JoyousExpansion.com Yeah!